Welcome to God's Table Talk, where real-life stories and testimonies of faith are brought to the table. I'm your host, Paul Eck. We're talking to Debbie Bowling. And uh, Debbie, let's just start, give us a little background on your childhood, where you were born and raised, that sort of thing. Okay. I was born in southeast Missouri. Um, we lived in the country. Um, my dad was a teacher in the beginning, an ag teacher, and my mom was secretary treasurer of the Richland School District, and that's where my dad taught. And uh, then my dad went from teaching to farmers' home administration, worked for, you know, managing people's farms and things. But mom actually retired as treasurer of that school system. Um, I have, um, I'm the oldest. I have two younger sisters and a baby brother. And um, we farmed. In fact, I was the only son my dad had for many years, so I drove tractor. My sisters and I, we chopped cotton, we hoed beans, we did it all. We picked cotton, we did it all. But um, we farmed, and then dad, you know, had his job, and mom had her job, and and um, went to school at Richland and graduated from there. Yes. You said that your parents were, uh, music was a vital part of your family. Talk a little bit about that. Well, we lived... Oh, from Sykeston, about maybe 13 to 14 miles from Sykeston, I guess. And my grandparents lived there. So we did what everybody else did on Saturdays. You went to town, right? In fact, every Saturday we went to a little bitty cafe because Dad loved their fried chicken. And uh, that little bitty cafe uh, was owned by a guy by the name of Lambert. And it turned into, <laughs> but when we were going there, it was just a little bitty, maybe six tables wow. and a little bitty cafe. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty good childhood. We had, we went and watched the Cardinal games with granny and granddad, you know, after church on Sunday and yeah. But you guys, you, you told me that you guys would sing. Your mom and dad loved to sing, uh, and you okay, guys would was, have the radio. Uh, that's, where I, that's where I was going. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yes. You started talking about Lambert, and my mind went completely blank. Uh, well, For those people who don't know, Lambert's is the home of the Throat Roll, and they're now, it's, it's like a tourist attraction. They have tour buses that come in there. Oh, yeah. Were they throwing rolls back then? No, oh, they, they weren't. Not. Okay. They were not. They had rolls, but they were not throwing the rolls back. It was the chicken that drew dad. So oh, okay. All right. They weren't throwing the chicken, though. No, just oh, throwing okay. the <laughs> So that, well, let's talk about music, because music's a big part of your life, but let's talk about that early influence. You, you, know, you and your mom and dad singing to the radio, I'm assuming, when you were going to Grandpa and Not Grandma's house. Not even to the radio. Oh, really? No, Dad, they would just start singing like Chattanooga Choo Choo and all the, you know, all the songs from way back when. And so we were, we were right in the back seat, and we were joining right in. And um, yes, music was very important. Now, your parents, by your own admission, weren't regular churchgoers. So what was the first experience you had with Jesus and with the church? Uh, well, we started, we were going to the Methodist church in Sykeston, but there was a little church down the road from our house in Essex or out in the country that um, we had neighbors that went to it. And so they had kids and that's where we started going. And um, a lady by the name of, we called her Chig Lane, one of her kids uh, went 
to that church, and she just adopted us all into a youth group and um, sing. We would go to different churches. We would go to nursing homes, you know, just the youth group. And so that's where I even learned harmony, hmm. singing with, singing there. And so, yes, music has been... Music has been important in my life. Now, were you, was there a draw to the Jesus at that time, or was it because you were, you were with your friends and you were doing something, like you said, singing that you enjoyed doing? Is that the draw to it, or what was it? No, it was, it was probably just the kids, and, you know, Jesus was there all along, of course. He, was, he, was, he chose me a long time ago, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, was a good, I was a good girl, you know. I didn't know that I needed give my heart to God, you know, until. Now we've, there was this big revival in the late 60s, early 70s in the, in the boot heel, and your husband, you didn't know him at that time, he was a part of that. That's right. Tell us a little bit about the first time when you, when your friend, you decide you're going to go to this, whatever, whatever the, the revival that was going on. Well, word was out. It was... It was everywhere. Um, and all my friends, of course, here was another little Baptist church here, here was a Baptist church here, here was a Baptist church. And so, but at school, we all heard about it. And um, I think there was probably a group of three or four of us that went to Idalia, the very first church. And uh, we couldn't go every night, but um, we went enough that... I knew that that's what I wanted. Yes. And you said that you were in school and couldn't wait for school to get out because you knew the night you were going to step I forward knew. and go to the altar. I knew. I, it had, my heart was overflowing. And I knew beyond a shout of a doubt that when I was in church that night, I was going to go to the altar, and I did. And I have never been the same. Now, your parents weren't regular goers. Did that change their attitude as far as what church was? or you know, how did, I how did remember the... going to my mom and dad's bedroom when I got home from church. They were in bed asleep. And I remember telling them that I had given my heart to God that night. And they weren't overly excited. You know, it was like, are you sh-? I mean, they didn't say, are you sure? That you want to do that, but they, they just weren't positively sure that that's what was happening and what needed to happen in my life. I don't know. I don't. I can't question what their feelings were, but I do know that. Um, and it was even after Terry and I were married, they were still going to church. You know, it's not like they weren't, but. When Terry and I got married, oh my goodness, they they absolutely started with friends of theirs the same way that I, you know, that mm. I did, and they absolutely went on fire also. So God just chooses when it's time, doesn't He? I mean, <laughs> Very whether true. I had anything to do with them, you know, I don't think I did really, but I do know that when. Terry and I did start dating. My mom and dad never worried about us because we were in church 
Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and three <laughs> times on Sunday, and you know, we were we were there all the time. Were you singing along at that time too, or were you just going with Terry to no, the? No, it was it, at that time. It was an all men, all boy. Okay. Yes, it was all boy. I did. After we were married, one of the boys went away to school, and I did fill in a little bit then. So. So then you and Terry got married. Explain. Um, you're both Christians. Explain a little bit about the dynamics of a marriage that has, where both are, they're they're pointed towards north, pointing towards God and Jesus. Well, we started going when we first got married to the little church that I went to and I grew up in because he was friends with one of the guy. In fact, Mike was became a part of the group of one of the guys. Chiglane's son became a part of. Now, isn't that what God just kind of does that, doesn't He? Um, so it was. It was good. We were in church. We actually led the youth group at at certain times. We were involved in the choir. Terry led the choir. You know, we were, yeah, we were, we were very involved. And then we moved to Farmington, and. Uh, his job, we work full time, and there weren't any General Baptist churches in Farmington, and we didn't know what to do. <laughs> so, um, God took care of that in that we had our insurance with State Farm Insurance, and JL and Evelyn Seal were our insurance agents, and the store that Terry um, was managing, Janet Morgan was worked at that store and um uh gary romine terry knew him from gary sang or played in a gospel quartet down in boot hill and we sang at the same things that that gary and did and gary lived up here and gary was going to that church so you know that's how we became nazarene Talk about your, you have two sons, you and Terry have two sons, they're fully grown, They you have grandkids and stuff. Is it, I'm not sure if you can say it this way, is it easier raising sons when you're a, with a Christian mindset or were there, were, there, were there struggles along the way? I don't think I ever want to know the struggles that I don't know already. I have enough gray hair anyway. <laughs> but I raised two sons that... Um, were they in church? They were, but we, at that point in time, our boys wrestled, and it seemed like every weekend or every other weekend, we were, we were not in church. We were at a wrestling match, or we were, so we probably weren't as involved back when they were in high school as, as we should have been. But, um, you yeah, know, God takes care of that too. He, yeah. And and as far as um, they knew that we were Christian parents, and they definitely appreciate it now. They they know the marriage that we had, and they know the love that that was in our home, and absolutely, it it influenced them. I'm sure. Yeah. And that's interesting. You say they they understand it now because I think there's a lot of people that. They think that they're what they're doing is fruitless. They're taking their kids to church because their kids aren't responding. Their kids aren't going to the altar. They don't seem to be getting it. But 
it's later on when it's when it, when when you see the f the fruits of your labor. And I think you were there when David. Gave oh yes, I was. Yes. Yes. Yeah. At the what was it called? It it was. That was the Promise Keepers Promise in Kansas Keepers. City. Yeah, yes. I remember that so clearly. It's one of my favorite stories of David, and I'm hopefully one day I can interview him and he can tell that story because it was an amazing story. Yeah. Well, it was pretty. It was pretty awesome when he called and uh, he said, "I'm changed. I'm absolutely changed." Yeah. So yes. You know, even though you raise your children, they have to make decisions all their own. And, you know, and they will. Now, I want to talk a little bit because I think it's really cool. Well, you've been, you've been you, by your own admission, you've been healed twice. The second time, you don't really know what you're healed from. But let's talk about the first time. What had happened? You had done something to your shoulder. Tell that story, if you would, please. I had torn my rotator cuff, and it was ripped. And I couldn't have the surgery that the doctor said that he, that he thought that I needed um, because Jeff and Jenny were getting married and I couldn't be without a shoulder and helping, you know. So um, I just was in therapy because, you know, I couldn't raise the arm very high and, oh, come out of the therapy just in tears because they stretched that arm. And, and uh, about that time, our youth group at church was going to NYC, Nazarene Youth Conference, right? Is our mm -hmm. conference, conference yeah. I can't remember. Uh, and it was in Houston, Texas. And uh, eight, just picture, 8,000 high school and college kids with their hands raised, um, praising God and of course, we were there, of course, also, and Michael W. Smith was singing, and we were all just worshiping, and and not even knowing that when it happened, I happened to look up, and my arm was completely in the air. No pain. I have no idea. Didn't even ask for healing at all. But it was just, I looked down the row and screamed at Kathy Rome. I said, look, my hand's in the air. My, my hand's in the air. And then I think I told you that the next morning in the shower, I had to scream again because I could reach back. <laughs> but yes, absolutely, I was healed. I was and you've never, you've never had any surgery on it. Never had any surgery on it. Never. Now, the second one was... Uh, a little bit different in the fact that you know you were healed, but not what you were healed from. Explain that. We were at a Bible study, and the Bible study was over. And uh, Jim Allen was praying. He was leading the Bible study. And I was praying, and I felt a, a warmth, a, a, a heat, uh, and it was going all the way up my body, my chest, all the way up. And at that point, I wasn't listening to Jim. I was going, Lord, what is, what's going on? What is happening to me? And I was healed. I have no idea what I was healed from, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he healed me at that point of something. What makes you... Um, what makes you believe that? I mean, what what is it that about it that this the feeling of it, or what is it you said I was healed from something? No, I just knew. I knew after it was all over. I knew. I I didn't even say, Lord, 
Was I healed? I knew I was healed. I, I, I knew that something went on inside my body that was not indigestion. It was, <laughs> you know, it wasn't any, it was nothing like that. And I've had hot flashes. I know what hot flashes feel like. <laughs> it wasn't a hot flash. <laughs> so I, I just knew. I knew God had God had done something inside of me that I had no control over. Uh, I know one of your great uh, ministries that you love is children. I do. Where does that I mean? You obviously have two kids. You have grandkids. Where does that love come from? Is it? Does it go back to the woman that you talked about the little church? You kind of took all the teens in and. You know, I never even would have thought that until you just said that. I don't. I don't know. I, I actually started to because I was filling in for someone because they left or they couldn't do it anymore or whatever, and I. I was never a teacher. I I did substitute a little bit, but um, you know after I got finished my college, but I I was never a teacher, and didn't didn't think of myself as being able to teach. But, you know, I learned just as much as those kids did in the very beginning. Well, still do, you know. Um, yes, my, my, my just filling in became a ministry, a passion. A, I love them. What do you get out of it, which may be an odd question. Have but... you seen those kids come and hug me? <laughs> Have you seen them anxious to get out of there and go downstairs? <laughs> And if you could hear, we're now we're studying David. This is our last lesson. So I go in today and I say, okay, who have we been, who have we been studying? And David, okay, well, who was that king? What was his name? Saul. Okay, well, what was this last lesson about? Where was David? They, they remember it all. Henry, all of them. They, it's just amazing. And I've always heard that about the age that I'm teaching right now, is where they absorb the most. So they're going to absorb Bible stories. They're going to they're going to know. How tough was the last year with COVID? You not being able to do that and not be able to interact on a personal level with those kids. I was sending them, sending their parents through Messenger, um, either Superbook you know, episodes or VeggieTales episodes or, and then I would send the kids envelopes with all kinds of crafty, you know, stuff, little cross, you know, crosses, stickers, whatever, on a weekly basis. And it, it was just, I, I didn't want them to feel like we deserted them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want them to feel like that God had, God's not still in it. So we we did the best we could. It was hard. So since you were about 16 or 17 years old, when you stepped forward and became a believer, have you ever doubted God? Oh, no. Never doubted God. I've questioned why he would maybe allow some things to happen. But I've never doubted God. I've never doubted that I made the wrong decision. No. Does he ever give you an answer as to why certain things happen? We're talking about some tragic things that have happened that you've had to deal with, whether it was in your own family or in, in close in people that you're close to. No, but 
he gives me devotions the day that I need them that tells me that waiting, you know, how to wait, how to hope, how to trust. So do I have, have I ever had an answer to a prayer? Every day I would say yes, I, I get an answer to a prayer. But I just I just think that one of the things that here, let me back up a little bit. Okay. One of the things that I think that he gave me was a spirit of peace. And I've been told that by other people that they see that in me, that they see a, a spirit of peace in me. Okay? Um, the job that I have, that I've had for 40-something years, um, I have been in a situation in an, in an area, in an office, with Christian girls, with Christian ladies that have even encouraged me more. So God has put me exactly where he knew I needed to be in my ministry and in my office, in the work, in the family that I need to be in, in, in my wonderful, wonderful husband that is, yeah, that has been my rock. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said the same thing about well, you. Well, I know, but he, he's confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, how important is uh, prayer in your life? Well, um, it's talking to God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't want to go out a day without talking to God. You want Him to, in first thing in the morning, open your eyes and say, "Okay, oh, here we go. What can I? What can you teach me today, God? What can you teach me today?" So, yeah, it's absolutely important, and I think I'm a little known for that at the office because um, I have over and over had people call me even after maybe they leave the company um, they will call me and say would you pray would you pray and uh, I have stickers little post-it notes pray for you know Murdoch's husband now right now there's still stickers in fact we had a pharmacist come in one time and and interview at our office and my office was right outside the door of my boss, and that's where she was going into, so she had to wait. And she told me later that one of the reasons she took the job was because of my prayer notes, that she wanted to be, you know, she wanted to be in that situation. And, and believe it or not, um, it wasn't probably a few months later that we had her in the office and all of us were gathered around in prayer because she found out she had cancer. Mm -hmm. So we all gathered around and we prayed. So prayer is not only important in the church, in my home, it's it's my office too, wherever I'm, yeah. And I imagine you pray a lot for your for your sons still and, your, oh, yeah. and their families and your grandkids. I absolutely do. How... How important is that? How important do you believe that is to pray for them? Uh, it's the most important thing a mama can do for her children is to pray for them. <laughs> you can tell them all day long what you want them to do. What you, <laughs> in fact, what we want them to do is not always what God wants them to do. And 
that was proven with David. You know, it's when he was in high school, he was in the CAD program, and he just knew that's what he wanted to do. So he went to Springfield to college, and and you know, and started the CAD program, and and realized that that's probably not what he should be doing. Well, Papa and I were, Dad and I were devastated. You know, that's what, that's what he's supposed to be doing, you know. <laughs> but if that's what he was supposed to be doing, if that's what he would have done, he would not be where he is right now and in the position that he's in right now. So, goodness gracious, God can change our minds, or children's minds, and no matter what we think is best for them, that's why we have to just say, okay, Lord, you know better than I do. <laughs> so I've asked this question of some other people. Your vision of your life when you were a little girl or a teenager in that little town in southeast Missouri, how different is that vision to what it is, to what your life is actually like now? Well, I swore I would never marry a farmer. <clears throat> And then, after we were married, he farmed for how long? <laughs> Two, three years. So, yeah, God says, no. And then, um, I, I was in college, and I just assumed that I would probably do what I was supposed to, what I was trained to do in college, but that didn't happen either. So, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't what you think is what is right for you, God is way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. And he has prepared us for everything that we've stepped our feet into. Everything. How difficult is it to be able to... When did you come to that point of acceptance? Like you were talking about Dave where he went off to college and he thought he wanted to be this and all of a sudden he calls you and says, I don't want to be this. And you're like, whoa! When did you come to that point of acceptance going, okay, I, I don't, don't... I don't know that you... I don't know that you do uh, come to an acceptance. You just come to realize that God's got it, you know, and little little me, I there's nothing that I can do to change God's mind, and and I want my kids to be in His will no matter what because... Goodness gracious, there's nothing that they can do that is more important than what God has planned for them. I mean, that doesn't mean that they have to preach. That doesn't mean that they even have to sing in church, you know, or be a member of the praise team. It doesn't, but where God leads them is where they need to be. And I, we are blessed that we have them in the church that we are now, but um, Terry and I both know that we have very talented sons. And that if God calls them somewhere else, um, we have already we've already given them to God, and we've already we we came to church. Nobody was even in church, and we went down on the altar and we gave them. Don't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, Lord, you know where they need to be. So now, do you feel you have a mission here from here on out? Whether that means. When your life comes to an end or when the rapture happens, do you feel like you have a mission? Would you share it? Keep on keeping on. I have kids, but I have the kids at church, but 
I also think that I could possibly raise up some other teachers that would be able to carry on and and probably be more active with the kids, like taking them maybe more places and all. So I I feel like that I feel like that God has already He's put me where I needed to be for a place and time. And that there is probably a time when someone else probably needs to step right in and, and we have an amazing group of people that could do it right now. In fact, uh, Caitlin, um, she came in with me again today. They're back from COVID, and the kids are back. And uh, before COVID, she she had told me that she wanted to possibly help. And we had been praying. I had been praying for that, and God just brought her, and she came up to me and said it, and it was like... Yep, you got this guy. So we don't know, you know, but I know that if he wants me, wherever he wants me, I think he'll tell me. He'll show me. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Thank you for tuning in to God's Table Talk. Remember, you can listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor, and you can watch the full interview on YouTube. I'm your host, Paul Leck. Be blessed, but more importantly, be a blessing.